This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I'm an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant and expert witness and author and producer of these videos. Today I'd like to speak about adjusting the commercial property loss. The adjustment of a commercial property loss is performed in the same manner as any other property loss except for the fact that the difference is one of tone and extent of loss, the professionalism of the insured, rather than substance. Adjusters who usually deal with business entities and their officers or employees rather than an individual, find claims handling is often, but not necessarily always, easier. The experienced adjuster who deals with commercial claims usually has knowledge of the business and the people who operate the business. Some insurers even assign a single adjuster to a major commercial insured to handle all claims presented by the commercial insured. Familiarity and a good working relationship over a period of months or years benefits both the insured and the insurer. Obviously, a fire can be devastating for a business if the business is not rapidly put back to work after the fire is extinguished. The adjuster must recognize this fact and act quickly to complete a fair and thorough investigation. To adjust the commercial property loss, the adjuster must be familiar with the coverages and be ready to read and understand the policy using the efforts I have discussed in multiple videos. The adjuster dealing with a commercial loss recognizes that a commercial property insurance policy can be extensive, have dozens of endorsements, cover multiple properties, insure multiple entities and have a large self-insured retention, an SIR, or a deductible. An adjuster must always be absolutely certain which endorsements apply to the insured or which of the multiple insureds. The adjuster reviews the loss notice and re-reviews the coverages to ascertain which coverages apply to the type of loss reported, the location of the loss, the limits available at that location, and to a specific insured. He or she makes immediate contact with the insured so that he or she may inspect the loss and work with the insured to set a complete and thorough scope of loss. If there is a potential loss of earnings, it is important to collect as much business documentation as possible 
so that the history of the business can help the adjuster and his or her forensic accounting consultants to determine the amount of loss. Loss of earnings forms vary greatly and provide different limits and conditions. It is important that the terms and conditions are understood by the insured and explained to the insured and why the adjuster should collect documents for analysis, possibly and usually in a major commercial property loss by a forensic accountant. The documents required include four years of corporate tax returns, four years of profit and loss statements and balance sheets, bank account statements and canceled checks, one year of source documents on payroll, expenses, costs that continue, costs that do not continue, leases, contracts, and any other relevant business documents, and if business information is kept on computers, the software used, and a backup copy on a disk or memory stick is necessary for the adjuster or the retained forensic accountant to work with the insured to calculate the amount of loss of business income or loss of use that is being claimed to the insurer. The adjuster must always conduct a thorough investigation at the scene of loss. He or she must establish the cause and origin of the loss and obtain a general idea of the extent of the loss and what expert assistance will be required to complete the investigation and adjustment. If cause and origin of the loss are not obvious, it becomes imperative that the adjuster retain the services of a cause and origin expert or engineer with instructions to work quickly to calculate the cause of the loss and assist the adjuster in calculating the amount of the loss. For example, if it is a fire loss, the adjuster must decide if a fire cause and origin investigator is necessary. If it is a theft or business interruption loss, the adjuster must determine if the assistance of a forensic accountant or a private investigator is needed. If experts are needed, the adjuster should advise management that the loss requires the assistance of various experts to assist in the investigation of the loss and the calculation of the amount of indemnity owed. If the loss is extensive or complicated, it might be necessary for the first assigned adjuster to advise management that a company general adjuster, who is more experienced and knowledgeable than the average adjuster, be assigned to take over the investigation and adjustment of the loss and claim. If a general adjuster is not available, the adjuster must determine whether the loss is too complex for his or her skill level and seek permission to retain a professional independent general adjuster to work over the investigation and adjustment of the loss. If a loss involves legal issues, the adjuster will seek permission to retain an insurance coverage lawyer experienced in major losses, commercial insurance coverage issues, and or potentially fraudulent claims. 
the attorney will provide advice, counsel, and investigation suggestions to the adjuster and will assist as a lawyer the adjuster to make it possible to complete the adjustment of the complex commercial claim. If at any time in the investigation it appears the loss is suspicious, then the adjuster must ascertain that there is a possibility that fraud is being attempted or that the coinsurance clause may come into effect or that there may be a penalty under the coinsurance or a reporting form or that a condition or warranty in the policy may have been violated. All of these would require reports to management and often the assistance of a insurance coverage lawyer knowledgeable about the issues involved. The adjuster must immediately, immediately when such concerns appear, ask the insured to sign a non-waiver agreement or issue a thorough reservation of rights letter. If necessary, the Insurance coverage lawyer may need to assist the adjuster in drafting a reservation of rights letter. The non-waiver agreement is a mutual agreement, a contract between the insured and the insurer that nothing done in the investigation of the claim will act to change the positions of the parties or waive any of the rights either party has under the contract of insurance. If the insured is unwilling to sign a non-waiver because simply they just don't understand them, it is appropriate to issue a reservation of rights. However, since waiver could cause a problem, the adjuster should not delay the investigation for more than the time necessary to issue and deliver a thorough and detailed reservation of rights to letter to the insured. Once the non-waiver is signed or the reservation of rights is delivered, the investigation continues pursuant to the non-waiver reservation of rights. The non-waiver agreement and the reservation of rights letter are equally effective for maintaining the status quo while the investigation is being conducted. A non-waiver agreement is preferred because it's a mutual agreement between the insured and the insurer while the reservation of rights is a unilateral statement of the insurer. In Scottsdale v. MV Transportation, a 2005 decision of the California Supreme Court, the issue on appeal was whether an insurer that had properly reserved its rights could obtain reimbursement of its expenses of defending its insured against a third-party lawsuit where it was determined as a matter of law that the policy never afforded any potential for coverage and there was no duty to defend or indemnify. The same rule applies to a first-party claim. A Colorado District Court found that the insurer properly asserted an exclusion from coverage and its reservation of rights sufficiently informed plaintiffs of the potential grounds for denial of their claim. As the letter included policy language, the reservation of rights used described several exclusions, including wear and tear, 
deterioration, weather, and faulty construction, design, or maintenance, the same policy language on which the insurer relied to reject the claim. The Tenth Circuit Court of Appeal concluded that the district court correctly ruled that the payment by Safeco to Galaygos for roof repair costs did not constitute a waiver of the coverage exclusions set out in the insurance policy. This was Gallegos versus Safeco, a 2016 decision of the Tenth Circuit. Though insurers sometimes send a reservation of rights letter even when problems have not surfaced as a result of the initial investigation in first-party cases, this function is merely to protect the insurance company against claims of waiver and bad faith and is usually adopted and accepted as a reasonable type of conduct by an insurance company investigating a commercial property claim. Some cases, in fact, indicate that a reservation of rights letter somehow causes an insured to anticipate litigation, where the Southern District of Florida did not find that case persuasive. Commercial property claims require the work of a competent insurance adjuster who understands the policy, who understands how to read and review the policy and explain it to the commercial insured, and who also knows how to investigate cause, potential fraud, and potential coverage issues. If any of them appear, it is the duty and obligation of the insurer to explain those problems to the insured and to work to find a good-faith resolution of every claim presented. This video was adapted from my book, The Compact Book on Adjusting Property Claims, 3rd Edition which is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be interesting or useful to you or your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to my Rumble channel, my YouTube channel, and my blog so that you can learn about future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.